Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality, and we're so glad you're here. This is a viewer and listener supported podcast, so we greatly appreciate your support. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Be sure and like, share, and subscribe to any of the social media content platforms that you're using. And then if you go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, you can make a one-time donation or with a monthly subscription, you'll gain access to our bonus content. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. We're glad you joined us today. And I'm excited to introduce you to John Carl Lewis. John is a writer, spiritual director, describes himself as queer and contemplative Christian. And we met back in July of 2022 at the Wild Goose Festival. I actually had attended one of his talks on sexual ethics and then bumped into him at our hotel over breakfast. And so uh, we got a chance to talk and I said, man, we need to do a podcast. So here we are in 2023 making it happen. Welcome, John. Here we are. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yeah, yeah. Good deal. So I like to start with, you know, people, just a little bit of people's origin stories, like where they where where you were born, where you grew up, kind of some of some of your family background and and even your some of your spiritual faith background as well. Well, um, very good. I'm glad you asked that question because um, I like to start my personal biography in about 1864, um, when my, uh, whatever it was, great grandfather who had escaped from slavery founded, um, a little chapel for African Americans in my hometown of, uh, Millville in South Jersey down in the pines, um, and uh, so wow. I was raised in that lineage, in that context. Uh, the only reason I I didn't get to church the first Sunday of my life was because I was born on a Sunday and they couldn't take me until the following week. Wow. Uh, so um, is it a particular uh, denomination? Was it non-denominational? Do you know, the well, it, it was independent when it formed, but then it affiliated with uh, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, uh, which was founded in 1787 mm -hmm. uh, in Philadelphia. It's the oldest um, predominantly black uh, denomination in the uh, in the United States. Yeah. AME, I think I think our former mayor Cleaver, who's now Congressman Cleaver. Uh, in Kansas City is, is an AME pastor, if I'm not mistaken. So that sounds about right. Uh, the AME tended to be the um, for good, for better and for worse, the the intellectuals and thought of themselves as the elite in in um, in terms of uh, uh, African American religions, mm -hmm. uh, sort of like Episcopalians. Uh, but, um, uh, they, there was always an emphasis on, uh, learning and intellectual, uh, achievement, uh, and social respectability. Hmm. Now, all of those things have downsides. Uh, so I'm not really boasting, um, but, uh, but that's, that's the way they were. That's the environment in which I was raised. Wow. Well, that's awesome, man. So I'm, I'm so glad you shared that. Huh? So was he, he was a, he actually, was he a freed slave? Your great, uh, no, whoever started this in 1864, your great, great I, grandfather. I no, I think you left early. Okay. Yeah, I, and uh, and there were other people on the, my father's side who left the South um, before they were given permission to. Okay, fascinating. <laughs> wow, very good. A little bit of a rebel streak there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. So then, uh, you were born in New Jersey. 
Is that- I was born in New Jersey in a small town. Um, uh, I was born in a part of the state most people don't know exists. Um, it's sort of acres and acres of pine forest, uh, about as far away from the hyper density you can get around uh, New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a very different experience of uh of new jersey okay yeah slower more rural with almost a southern feel nice i haven't been to that part i i only you know went into like elizabethtown and some of those places right around new york city so yeah um so tell us about your 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 growing up years you know you we introduced you as a spiritual director who describes himself as queer and contemplative Christian. So give us some, how, how did, how did that world emerge for you? How old were you when you, 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 how old were you when you first realized that you had attraction, your sexual orientation, all these kind of things in, in this environment of your family's spirituality, how did that all play out? Um, that, uh, I knew that I was different when I was four in kindergarten. Um, uh, I was the only black kid in, uh, predominantly white town actually. Uh, and I noticed that my attraction for the other boys was stronger than their attraction for each other. I just had this desire to be around masculine energy um, that felt different than uh, the the energy I had with um, uh, you know with girls. I, I felt more of an affinity with girls. Uh, I didn't find them yucky or anything, but yet I wanted to be with the boys and felt like I was different from them. Uh huh. Yeah. An irony, like, yeah. Like I being a young heterosexual kid, you know, I thought girls had cooties and then we end up. (laughs) Yeah. And then you get over that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was consistent. I, I, I didn't get over anything. Um, And, you know, I had close male friendships, which were probably closer from my, um, and then theirs, uh, and uh, you know, in thir- at the age of thirteen, I got my heart broken when my best friend fell in love with uh, another thirteen-year-old girl, and I was kicked to the curb, and um, no more sleepovers, and uh, and all of his attention was was for girls from then on. Mm. So how, how did like in your, was your dad a pastor? My dad was not a pastor. My okay. father's side uh, tended not to be, uh, they were never clergy. Okay. Uh, Mom's side. Uh, there, were, there was clergy on my mother's side. Okay. Um, uh, they were Baptist, uh, black Baptist uh, or national Baptist eventually. Was that uh, the church you were at like at thir- as a teenager? National no, I was in an AME church. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, which which saved me from the um, the horror stories that many uh, people who've been raised in the Baptist tradition have have had to deal with. Uh, I didn't have to deal with people railing against homosexuality. Um, we just didn't talk about sex. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea, you know, whatever messages we did get from the church was, you know, don't get girls pregnant. And I was thinking, well, I'm good there. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Oh, my. So so you were I mean, there was never a time in your in your growing up years where you didn't you, you, you didn't really struggle over this identity. You you just from as early as you can remember, you were attracted to guys. Yeah. And, um, it was a romantic orientation. Yeah. Not just friendship. 
for you? Yeah, definitely in terms of romantic orientation. Um, I, um, I now recognize that my orientation is surprisingly stable. Uh, and I've come to realize that not everybody's orientation is that way. Um, I, I certainly don't believe that, that gay people can be prayed into straight, but I think most people are more sexually fluid than I myself am. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder Um, about that. I've talked to people, you know, who are, who are a little more fluid, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interesting. So your family, like when, how did your family respond? Were they, were they supportive of you? Did you um, in retrospect, they were supportive of me, but not supportive of uh, my being gay. Um, and as I look back, I think that was for several reasons. Uh, for one, it was about 1989, and it was the height of the AIDS crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no cure for HIV. Mm-hmm. Um, and people were just dropping dead and they certainly did not want that for their son. And that's all they saw on the media when they heard the word gay. Mm. Uh, so I think they wanted, um, to protect me from that. Also, you know, their attitude was you're already black. Why do you want two strikes against you? Yeah. Uh, and the third thing was, you know, why can't you just continue to uh, live a respectable life? Why can't you pretend? Mm. Uh, and um, so that's sort of the energy I was met with. I mean, my father did say, that's the worst sin there is. Mm. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we made peace before he died in 94. It wasn't a long time to make peace. Uh, and I deeply regret that he didn't live long enough to see my life flourish. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So you were in this, this was your, this energy that your family met you with was that was while you were a teenager in high school. No, that was uh, college. I came out to them in college. Okay. Where did uh, you go to college? I went to Princeton. Okay. Which um, in a way saved my life because even though it is a co-ed college, um, it had a history of being all male. Uh, and so there were things that weren't questioned like all male dorms. Um and all male fraternities and eating clubs, uh, which have gone the way of the dinosaur by now. Uh, but uh, at the time, were these havens of a certain type of intellectual masculinity um, that uh, I fit into quite well. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I I don't I um. I'm curious how, what year did you graduate from Princeton? Uh, I graduated in 1987. 87. Okay. Yeah. I graduated from Baylor in 83. So I'm 61. Yeah. I'm 57. Okay. All right. Yeah. We're not very far apart. Yeah. I have a friend who um, pastored a Presbyterian church here in Kansas city. We were kind of colleagues and friends and, but he had, he graduated from Princeton was involved in the, uh, intervarsity fellowship there. Yeah. Uh, they were around, was um, gay, but, but he wasn't out as a gay guy when he was at Princeton. And then he came to pastor this church and hadn't come out, but he was single, did a great uh-huh. job pastoring it. And uh-huh. then he finally decided to, because he didn't go to the church as gay, he finally several years ago decided to come out and resign, oh, but he's okay. connected to PCUSA and he, I think he's now like the national moderator just got voted into a pretty high position, Brian 
Ellison, and uh, he's he's on a local radio station here. But Wonderful. We, we've been friends for over a decade, uh, but he's a he's he's the other Princeton grad that I. <laughs> that I <met. laughs> But he would be, I think he's younger, uh, maybe maybe he's in his 40s, I don't know. Brian, if you listen to this, I'm not sure how old you are. So anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, well, uh, increasingly, um, everybody who graduated from Princeton is younger than I am. Right. <laughs> Same with Baylor. <laughs> I was... I was quite upset to find out that Ted Cruz was younger than me by several years. <laughs> oh my gosh. I Ted wanted Cruz. him to be an old dinosaur and he was not. Oh, how did this that happen? Okay, never mind. We won't go there. Well, <laughs> um, let's see here. So so college, did you do postgraduate work as well? Um, I tried to do seminary and I, I call myself a three times seminary dropout. Okay. Um, it's not entirely true. Um, I, uh, was working for Bloomberg financial markets right out of college. Um, I did that for three years and finance did not exactly call to my soul. Um, so when I had the option of taking a large chunk of money or sticking with it and building an even larger chunk of money, um, I took the chunk of money and left uh, and bought myself a semester at Princeton Theological Seminary. Hmm. And um, while I was there, I came out on campus and at the time, uh, the president of the seminary was virulently homophobic. Oh, wow. Um, and had a habit of snitching on people who they suspected were gay. Um, he would call their home churches and say, you know, we think so-and-so is a homosexual. You should stop supporting him. Wow. And actually get these people thrown off campus. Um, now I was unaffiliated. They couldn't do anything to me. Um, so they lost my application for readmission. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, which forced me to scramble and I applied for Harvard Divinity School and got in. Uh, so the day I got into Harvard Divinity School, the day I got word, I put on my Harvard Divinity School t-shirt and wore it into the Princeton refectory. And the next day I got a letter of acceptance from Princeton with a full scholarship offered. Hmm. <laughs> which of course I was too proud to take. Wow. So I went to Harvard where I had a horrible time. <laughs> uh, well, but, you know, I do learn to think theologically. Um, it was good training. Mm -hmm. uh, and you see, I think I was in a stage of my life. Uh, I'm skeptical of people sometimes who go to seminary before they know who they are. Mm. Uh, there are certainly self-aware people in their 20s who go to seminary. Um, but I had so much to learn about myself. I didn't have room to, like, do my best at, um, you know, I was always reading about homosexuality and um, other religions and how they handled it and you know, other faith traditions. And it was really hard to keep my mind on Greek when, you know, I was going through these existential crises. Right. Uh, and plus I had an undiagnosed uh, manic depressive disorder. Mm. Um, so when I was not reading all of this stuff, I was not assigned in class. I was lying in my bed crying, uh, trying to make myself go to class. Wow. Um, yeah. So it was not a good situation. I dropped out and became a journalist um, with the gay press in Boston. And um, that really started 
you know, shaping my life after mm. that. What year was that in Boston? Uh, I was in Boston from uh, 90 to 93. Gosh. What year yeah. was it that all that stuff came out with the clergy there, that the Catholic uh, clergy, when the journalists were investigating the oh yeah Catholic yeah. priest stuff in Boston? That's, that a, that's about then. Um, I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to it yeah. because, you know, I still had my old evangelical bias. I was an evangelical in college. Okay. Um, and um, Spotlight was the movie that came out. Yes. It kind of documented that. Yes. That era in uh, the Catholic Boston clergy or priesthood or whatever. But And I can't, you know, it, it amazes me. There are several things that amaze me about that. And one of the things that amazes me is how widespread it was. Um, my, you know, I, I know people, multiple people who have been abused by Catholic priests. Mm. And that shouldn't be something that is all that common. Right. <laughs> right. Well, we had our own issues here in Kansas city um, as well. Had a, Priest well, it's not, it's not limited around. to, uh, yeah, it's not limited to Catholics, unfortunately. No, no. Um, not. yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey, let's talk about sexual ethics. Okay. Um, yes, let's do that. Let's jump in there. Um, I, I found it fascinating, uh, to listen to your talk on sexual ethics and because I've, I've certainly been rethinking my sexual ethic and I, I've defined, so I wouldn't say my parents, my parents are 86, 87, and they listen to all my podcasts. So uh, hey, uh -huh. they, they weren't, I don't think they raised me like this so much, but we were, we were in an, a, a Southern Baptist church. And I think I came to Christ as a teenager in the seventies out of the recreational drug world. Like I didn't want to go to church and I was wanting to get high and mm. I still was an athlete and had good grades, but then my dad made me go to a summer camp. I got saved, felt called to be a pastor and I was off. And I think the Southern Baptist world that I was in, in the, you know, in the late seventies and eighties, I went to Baylor and I went to Southwestern Baptist theological seminary. So the two, you know, largest Southern Baptist institutions in the world are in Texas. Imagine. Mm -hmm. that. And uh, you know, this is the largest Protestant denomination in America, Southern Baptist. Yeah. And I would say if you just boiled down our sexual ethic that I imbibed through the Southern Baptist world was like God made sex. And if you're in a heterosexual marriage, you can do it. Mm -hmm. if you're not in a heterosexual marriage. You can't do it. And you can't think about it. Oh, no. Because like no. you couldn't like I was taught that like masturbation and was wrong. So. Right. Anytime you had an inkling toward, you know, sexual excitement or thoughts. And I'm like, you know, how often do teenage guys think about sex? Mm. <laughs> you know, so like, how often do they masturbate? Yeah, exactly. So you're like, I'm screwed, you know, and you like, so your whole world is built around feeling guilty over your sexuality. Yeah. I mean, you've like, and, you know, and then marriage doesn't solve it all either. <laughs> no, like not for me anyway. And so I really realized I spent most of my life trying to shine a turd and <laughs> pardon my, the crassness there, but like this ethic that I inherited and that I actually tried to uphold and teach uh, for most people in the world, they don't live by that ethic. And it, it creates shame and guilt around some things that I think are just human that need to be affirmed and, and celebrated. Right. And Absolutely. So, so I'm curious, let's talk first about shame based ethics for a couple of minutes okay. and then let's move into what we might call, I don't know what you'd want to call it, grace-based sexual ethics or holistic, you know, human celebratory sexual ethics. I don't know what to call it, but, I um I really like to annoy people by calling it Christ-centered sexual ethics. Okay. That's good. Yeah, because um 
on the surface, people would say, that's not religious. And like, well, no, it's not. It's Christ-based. And Christ wasn't exactly the greatest upholder of religion. Uh, the, um, but uh, the, the sense of sexual ethics I've come to, um, I got the idea from a woman named Wendy Vanderwall Gritter. Um, she presented uh, a workshop on sexual ethics at the Queer Christian Conference uh, two, three years ago. Um, and she was talking about how in the mathematical world, there are things called centered sets mm -hmm. and bounded sets. Right. Yeah. Sociological too. Yeah. Yes. Uh -huh. So bounded sets are, are groups where there's a rule and you have to fit inside the rule in order to belong to the set. Very clear so who's like, in, who's out. Yeah. Who's in, who's out. Mm -hmm. Christians are people who do not have sex outside of marriage. Uh, centered set sexual ethics uh, uh, propose that there is a standard of love that we want to attain. We want to um, let all of our dealings be filled with love. Uh, and as long as we're moving towards deepening in that love and loving actions and letting all of our actions flow out of love, we're good. Um, we're righteous. We're fine. We're on the right track. Um, and it's going to look a little different for everybody because everybody's coming from a different perspective. Um, but it, it's not cookie cutter. It's not one size fits all. Um, and it depends on what I would call a personal sexual ethic. Um, knowing who you are, knowing your own reading of the scriptures and um, your conviction of what Christ is teaching you to do, uh, you act in accordance with your values and your personality and your situation. You take all these things into account and you decide mindfully what your sexual ethic is going to be. Which is more difficult than opening the book and seeing what does uh, X chapter Y verse say about whether I can masturbate or not. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> you're not going to find it. It's not yeah. in there. I looked for that loophole when I was a teenager, you know. <laughs> well, do they try to sell you on the sin of Onan? I've heard that one. Um, uh, there, was, there was one book I found that seemed to be accepted in the evangelical world by a guy named Walter Trobish. I mean, it's back in huh. the seventies and he, he was the only guy that I could find that seemed to like give a little bit of grace for masturbation, you know? Oh, that's amazing. And, uh, and uh, you know, I was, I was hunting for that <laughs> as a teenage person called to be a pastor, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know whether I was hunting for that. I was just, <laughs> doing it and feeling like, you know, God, I can't pray any harder for you to take this away. Uh, so I was slowly getting angrier and angrier at God. Mm. Um, but uh, never, never thought for once that the framework I was in was just feeding me a bunch of lies or bad advice. Shame. Shame. At the core of who you are. Mm-hmm. Did you, and, did you feel self-hatred around What's that? that? Did you feel self-hatred around that at that time? Yes, I did. I felt tremendous self-hatred. Mm -hmm. um, and eventually, you know, as God was not taking away the, the desire for other men and God was not taking away um, my habit of masturbation, um, I came to feel like, what's the point of living if um, God is not going to rescue me from these sins? Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, God. 
Yeah. So we just get buried in that. I think, you know, what's interesting to me, have you noticed that like, like that, some people grow up in that environment and don't take it seriously, blow it off and they just do whatever the heck yeah. they do. Anyway. But then How there's people like you and me who take it so seriously that we just beat the hell out of ourselves over not living up to this standard that doesn't actually, I, I don't think it's a healthy, I think it's, I think it's destructive. It is. It's terribly destructive. And then it's the people like us who go to seminary and become pastors. <laughs> the people who blow off are like, you know, uh, I'm walking away from this. I'm fine. I'm good. Yeah. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Right. Isn't that wild? Yeah. I, I actually think the sexual ethic that I grew up in in, in that world is the hardest on the people who care the most about God. I think so too. It's the people who are, and it's the people who are trying hardest to do their best. Yeah. And love God and try to honor God with their bodies. Yeah. Yeah. But then you just feel like you're a total failure, hypocrite. Can't do it. Right. Ah, Oh, I lived with that a long time. Well, and I'm still healing you know, from it in some ways or another, you know? Well, I don't know whether one can actually ever be totally healed this side of, you know, the veil, um, mm -hmm. you know, because even though I've come to a point where I am intellectually, um, pretty secure with my sexual ethic and my heart is there um, still buried in my gut are these little sparks of guilt. When I talk to someone on Twitter, who's telling me that I should be ashamed. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like they have a little hook still. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I would like them to not have that hook anymore. Yeah. So it's a, so it's a constant battle. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, if God created us and created sexuality and, and, uh, celebrates it as good, you read the first two chapters, multiply, be fruitful, you know, um, there's this, this, there's this sex positive message. If we dig into those first two cap chapters of creation, right. Yes. And sexuality and spirituality. It's all, it's all, it's all like celebrating goodness and creation and creativity and sexuality and all these, all these beautiful things, right? Fruitfulness. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but then like we screwed it all up somehow or another, <laughs> like we, we bought into the shame. I don't think God was ever dishing out shame. Well, um, this is when we have to look at our structures and the motivations of the people who uphold those structures. Um, preaching, preaching the message that God is okay with you and wants to express God's self through you, the way God has made you, does not make people flock to gatekeepers. The gatekeepers need us to be in shame, uh, unhappy, uh, unsettled, so that we come to them for answers. And they can manipulate and, us for all kinds of things. Absolutely. And when you look at the, um, the way the, the old Testament came together, um, it isn't until the priestly cl class, uh, who were the ultimate gatekeepers, started writing Leviticus and Deuteronomy that you have all of these 
this is what you do. This is what you don't do. If you get in trouble, you come see us and we'll absolve you. <laughs> or you kill bull and then you come see us. Yeah. Or you kill bull that we've sold to you because we've blessed it. And it starts to, sin starts to become an engine for power, economic prosperity for a group of people at the expense of people who would otherwise just be living their lives and loving God. Yeah. Yeah, the cult, the ritual of it, the, the centrality of it. And then, yeah. Well, yeah, there we go. Yeah. So uh, lots of interesting, you know, the fertility cults had, you know, had a, a different thing. You went to the temple, had sex with a temple prostitute. That was like the porn for the gods. It enticed the gods to have sex. And then when they had sex, then the fertility rained down and your, your crops grew, you know? Yes. So yes. <laughs> that was the other, that was the other side of the coin. You know, uh -huh. Like have lots of sex so that, so that, uh, so that the universe is maintained. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So fascinating. So how do we, you know, I've thought about even this, do you, you're married, right? And yes, I am. I met your husband mm -hmm. and, um, did, do, did either of you have, did he have kids? Like, was he previously married and had kids? I mean, some, some people no. that have, okay. So one, one of the things I think about is like, I don't have kids either. That wasn't by design, but, um, but I don't have kids, but I've often thought like, even as a pastor and, you know, as an imagined father, like how would I teach my kids now with my current sexual ethic, you know, thoughts, how, how would I want to raise my kids in a healthy sexuality that celebrates your sexuality, the generativity, the fruitfulness, all those kind of things. Uh, and at the same time still has some healthy boundaries to it. Right. Right. Yeah. How would I do that? How would you do that, John? How, how do we get at this thing called sexual ethics? Well, um, I would go out and buy a book called Shameless Parenting. Oh. Which is by Tina Shermer Sellers, who. Um, oh, she's the one that wrote Sex, God and the Conservative Church. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, she has another one. She has another one called Shameless Parenting, okay. which uh, came out not too long ago. I didn't buy it because I'm not parenting, but I should read it because hmm. I have to check that. Out. She's a really good writer um, and has an excellent perspective. Okay. She is a sexologist. OK. Who was teaching and she's been teaching for many decades. And in the 2000s, she realized that her. Um, her religious study students were coming to her with all sorts of sexual shame. Mm -hmm. And what had happened was Christian conservatives had managed to remove all sex education from the school systems except for abstinence-based sex education. Mm -hmm. And she was starting to see a wave of people who had inadequate sex education and had damaging shame-based sex education. Um, in a way this? that, what's that? What year was this that she started? She said she started noticing it about 2000. Um, and what, what, year did, what a year did Josh Harris's book come out, I Kiss Dating Goodbye? Well, it was after... I came out. That. Yeah. So it was in the nineties, mm -hmm. uh, maybe, um, I you think this, it was in the nineties. Do you know what book I'm referring to? Right. I kissed dating goodbye. Yes. Yeah, he was yes. this evangelical kid who wrote a book when he was 18 about, uh -huh. about if you're going to really take this seriously, then I'm not even going to kiss a girl till I get married. Right. And it, it sold millions of copies. And I was starting my church then and I was trying to reach people outside the church. And I had parents who just hoped their kid used a condom. <laughs> and then all of a sudden this book is floating around a little bit, you know, and I'm like going, holy crap, like this is 
even me, like even growing up in that really, I think shame-based sexual ethic, I was still going, that's too far. You know? <laughs> Come well, on. We, yeah. We <laughs> had a healthier, we had a healthier, um, upbringing around sexuality than some of these later people did. Um, got really tight, like these purity ring things and mm-hmm. all like it, it was a huge, huge thing in the nineties, I think. So that would make sense that in 2000 or so she started getting a lot of that. Like well, what, ha- what happened was, um, HIV ruined everything. AIDS ruined everything. Um, well, it didn't ruin everything. There were some, I mean, there were some positive things that came out of that crisis, many positive things, but, um, it gave Christian conservatives a scare tactic, uh, which allowed them to go into the public square and say, you've got to protect your kids from sex or they're going to die. Uh, and that was a compelling message that, um, that was able to catch fire and spread and, politicians it was easy to say you know don't have sex or you'll die um until you know i remember reading josh mcdowell when i was at baylor you know like 18 19 why wait he had this whole why wait campaign Mm -hmm. book on it he he actually came to baylor's chapel and spoke and like man if you want to have maximum sex then don't masturbate don't do anything don't have sex don't think about sex don't do any until you get married then when you get married then you're going to have the best amazing sex that you could ever have in the whole wide world, you know? Yeah. And there are people still pitching that. Um, <laughs> uh, the, um, there is a, uh, there is a website called Christian sexuality, uh, which launched two years ago, uh, which is arguing that very same thing. Hmm for a new generation of people. So crazy. Yeah. So then Josh, you know, has, you know, come out now as somebody who has like complete, I didn't even know where he's at in his faith now, you know, this Josh Harris right. this book. And right. I, I can't even tell you the number of kids that grew up in that and are just so have had so much shamed over to deal with in their, in their sexuality. Well, you know, and my hat's off to Josh because he's doing everything he possibly can to repair the damage. Josh Harris. Uh, yeah. Josh Harris. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I mentioned uh, Josh McDowell there just a minute ago, too. Yes. Distinguish the two. Yeah. Uh, Josh Harris, is, you know, is going around appearing on podcasts saying, you know, look, I was a 20 year old kid. And the powers that be liked what he was saying, liked the fact that a 20-year-old kid was saying saying it, and provided him uh, a platform large enough to reach everybody else. Uh, and he said, I was used. Mm. You know, he said, I knew nothing. And these backers of mine knew I knew nothing. Mm. And yet they amplified my message because it fit into their narrative. Yeah. Interesting in it. Wow. Yeah. But he still, he still acknowledges that he wrote the words that screwed up generations of people. Yeah. 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 I don't, it certainly wasn't in his heart. I think, I think he's another example of a kid that took it really seriously. Mm -hmm. Tried to be as pure as he could possibly be because he loved God. Yeah. Took it seriously, you know? And that yeah. his mind, that, that, those were some natural conclusions based on that. Those, uh, I think, shame-based messages that they're pretty prevalent in conservative churches, for sure. Right. So how do we how do we give people, kids, positive, love God, positive sex, positive sexuality messages in this context that we live in? How do we how do we? What do we, how do we form healthy boundaries? How do we celebrate what we need to celebrate? What well, are sexual ethics? What are some need, guidelines for us? 
Well, the 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 more I've studied my and the more I've studied uh, sexual ethics, the more I realize that we need the church to get involved with promoting comprehensive age appropriate sex education. Mm-hmm. Um, comprehensive and age appropriate because we want to be teaching. Um, children as they're beginning to interact with each other that their bodies are their own and they decide what happens with their bodies well later we want to teach them about relationships you know how to relate to one another um how to relate in love how to respect how to listen to someone else's um decisions about their own bodies and not and not violate those boundaries and when we've laid that foundation then we can start talking about sex in a different way because then you're dealing with people who have a certain level of empowerment um who they there's a saying that you can't really say yes until you've learned to say no um and then i think people really need to be exposed to the uh height and the depth and the breadth of human sexuality what's possible um sure what downsides there are um but lay it all out there for them so so that they can see the different ways people are living and make a conscious choice. Mm. Now, all through this, we need to be reinforcing the message that you have a personal relationship with Jesus and you need to discern that relationship for yourself. For Christian people. Yeah. For Christian people. Mm -hmm. And I only really speak to, well, I speak to two audiences the first audience I, I, I'm concerned with is Christians who are self-identified. Mm-hmm. Um, the second audience is the vast numbers of people who have been influenced by this toxic Christian shame thing mm. who don't realize they're carrying it because it's just in the air. It's in mm. the water. Mm-hmm. It's rooted in American culture, the shame. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where I make a pitch for contemplative Christianity. Um, in contemplative Christianity, the point is not following the rules, but in cultivating a relationship with God, which each person is able to do as they are interested in cultivating a relationship with God or not. And that by drawing close to the example of Jesus, you'll learn everything you need to know about how to treat your neighbor. Mm. And your neighbor is also that person you're having sex with as opposed to in toxic Christianity where the person you're having sex with is your possession. Um, and therefore not really your neighbor. Mm. Oh, because this is what, this is what toxic Christianity is teaching. Um, husband and on at the better end of the spectrum, husband and wife belong to each other. Mm-hmm. On the more toxic patriarchal end of the spectrum, the wife belongs to the husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have the works of Sheila Gregoire. Um, I think she wrote The Great Sex Rescue. Um, but the uh, the concept that only the man's pleasure is important because, of course, women don't have sexual desire. And so they should let guys do whatever they want because that will keep them from watching porn or having sex with other women. 
<laughs> but they have this they have this thing called a clitoris. You know, and <laughs> what what I really find interesting is I, I mean I, I love the statistic. Well it's not a statistic, it's a scientific fact. The clitoris is the only human organ that has one job and one job only, and that's to provide pleasure. Don't you think that there's some theology in that? There's a whole lot of theology in that. <laughs> I think, I if, if God knew what God was doing, right? <laughs> that's big. That's that's, huge. that's that's some theology right there, man. Right. I like that. Yeah. It's sex positive. It's affirming, you know, so many things. So what if you have been taught that as a young woman? So, yeah, I mean, um, you know, what if you've been taught that as a little girl and then you get to puberty and you know what gives you pleasure? You know your own body. You know what feels good. You know what doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. Self-exploration and, and it's good. Yeah, self-exploration. And you run it and you run into a boy and the boy wants to do X, Y, and Z. And you're like, well, X and Y are fine. We're not going to do Z mm-hmm. because that doesn't give me pleasure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It changes the whole sexual dynamic. Mm-hmm. That hurts or that's demeaning or I just don't like that. It's just not my preference. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, such, gosh, man. Ugh. I think this is so powerful to think about this in terms of raising kids, you know. But it 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 plays out for me as a heterosexual, it plays out for you. It plays out for our whole LGBTQ plus world, you know. It's right. Oh, so many good things. So I'm curious we're I could talk for hours about this, John. Um uh, so Margaret Farley's book, because when you did your talk at Wild Goose Festival, you referenced her book called Just Love, which yes. I, which was interesting because I was kind of pinning out my own little sexual ethic things. And then when you shared some of her stuff, she in her chapter six, she has uh, point one, do no unjust harm, point right. two, free consent, point three, mutuality, point four, quality. Point five commitment, point six fruitfulness, and point seven social justice. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of her. Uh, once she did all this amazing work in terms of the history of sexuality in in the Western world, and God, so much great research that she put into that book. It's amazing. Um, but then, but then she kind of boiled boiled it down into that those seven points of sexual ethic. And you picked up on a few of those in your talk and yes, stand out to you the most, maybe. Well, I like all of them. I, I think they're all important because um, they are a baseline of Christian behavior. Uh, we should do all of those seven at least. We should at least do no harm, but at best, Every sexual encounter we have should leave the person better than we um, found them. Now, that wisdom not only comes from Margaret Farley, it comes from queer sex advice columnist Dan Savage, who is completely secular. Isn't that good? Uh, That's such a good thing. Like, it's goodness. Like, you value each person's human dignity to the extent that an encounter you have with them leaves each of you feeling, you know, you're, you're, you're both better off because of it. Right. And, and when I read something like that, I must confess, I go back into my own sexual history and I cringe because it's like, Ooh, have I done that? And it's like, not, Consistently. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Will I do that in the future? Yeah, with God as my helper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. But um, but you look at it. So so the people who say, oh, you just want to go out and sin. 
it's not true. We want to go out and live to a higher standard, which, which promotes even more introspection um, and uh, more soul-searching and more repentance and more doing better. So that in every sexual encounter, we can ask these seven questions and say, you know, uh, am I doing justice by this person? By doing whatever with them. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter what the whatever is. Mm -hmm. Uh, The acts are not so important as sort of the attitude you're engaging with and the results mm-hmm. that you hope for mm-hmm. in communication with that other person. Right. So it's a co-creation. Yes. Sex is always a co-creation. Mm. Um, I am thinking about a sexual encounter I had that was good. And all throughout the sexual encounter, it was like the the person was older. Um, the person was asking me, how does this feel? Do you want to do this? And he would ask me repeatedly through the through the three hours we spent together, <laughs> you know, how does this feel? What do you want? Which prompted me to ask, okay, how does this feel to you? What do you want? You know, and it was a beautiful peak sexual experience Mm. of mutual sharing. Mm -hmm. And I must say this person was a priest. Mm. Well, yeah. And there's, there's beauty in that. Yeah. There's so many people who, you know, like that blows their mind because they've been, they've been taught a, a set of things that don't don't flourish in that situation. Oh, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. Oh, you know, let all that right. can, all that can do is just hurt somebody. Or, or yeah, hurt, and hurt this or hurt that. And you're like, and and what you're saying is that was uh, one of the most fruitful, generative, beautiful experiences that you've had. And it was also generative because when we left that room. I was energized and smiling and positive and exuding love towards everybody I ran into. (laughs) And he was doing the same. Mm. So it makes the world better. We were refreshed. We Mm -hmm. were re-energized. We were ready to make the world a better place because of a sexual encounter without shame. Yeah. It's, you know, like every now and then you'll catch a, a a clip from a movie or a TV show where, you know, the lady walks into the room with her lady friends and she's kind of glowing mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like, Oh, what have you been doing? You know, <laughs> But there's, because she's glowing with so much energy and, and, yeah. you know, and, and generativity and all that kind of, it's kind of, that's kind of a fun way to think about that, you know? Well, you know, can you imagine um, if Christians went around the world glowing like that? Yeah, right. (laughs) Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we're losing we're we're losing generations of people um, because young people are just not going to put up with this. Uh, they're, they're not going to put up with living dour, gray lives. Mm-hmm. No matter how much the Christian influencers try to convince people that this is fulfillment. Mm-hmm. Now, you know fulfillment when you see it. You know fulfillment when you feel it. You know the presence of God when you're in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. And unless we start showing the presence of God, I'm not telling everybody they have to go out and have sex and glow. Um, (laughs) But, you know, when we are 
containers for the presence of God, then we will see people start coming back to, I hope, Christ. Mm -hmm. Because I'm a Christian. Yeah. Well, and even even for our friends who wouldn't say they're Christians, there's still so many people out there that that have found Jesus as as an incredible guide and teacher. Yes. Who, um, who, you know, demonstrates love God, love neighbor, and even love your enemy. And that's such a powerful, needed uh, message for today's world that's so filled with hate, fragment, fragmented, filled with shame, you know, mm-hmm. tribalism, uh, all these things. So, well, John, we, we, we could talk forever. This is good stuff. Um, tell us about your website and how people can connect with you if they want to, what, what, how do they do, how do they get out there and do that? Well, the best way to connect with me right now is through my website, um, which is sexgaychristian.com. Uh, sex, gay, Christian, all run together, no spaces, no hyphens, dot com. Um, I will be changing the brand to Sex and the Queer Christian. Um, and I'm thinking of spinning off uh, one for not particularly queer people called But What About Sex? But for now, um, I'm at sexgaychristian.com. I'm also there on Instagram and Twitter, Sex Gay Christian. Uh, and um, I would uh, love for people to find me there and connect. And let's have a conversation because I don't have all the answers. Um, I realize I'm a conversation starter. Mm. Uh, in some ways, I'm a provocateur. So if you vehemently disagree with my ideas, fine. Just have the conversation. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I think we'll move closer to having that beautiful, beloved community that Martin Luther King was uh, talking about. Yes. Uh, we're, we're recording this a day after... Uh, MLK day and, uh, and this will be coming out tomorrow, I think. So, yeah. So excellent. Well, cool. Well, I've enjoyed, uh, the conversation, John Carl Lewis and, uh, yeah, check him out at, uh, sexgaychristian.com, sexgaychristian, either Instagram or Twitter or fa- is Facebook. Do you have a sex gay Christian Facebook page too? Um, I do, but I don't monitor Facebook since I banished myself from the platform. Okay. All right. Uh, and, um, you're, you're working on a book right now. I am. I'm working on a book. Um, I submitted a proposal to a major publishing house. Um, they love the idea. They said, Hey, could you write one for straight people? Um, and so I am reworking a book proposal, um, and uh, I hope this one gets past marketing. <laughs> so yeah. you go know sign I'm... up for the website and uh, join my email list and I can show them numbers that people are interested in in this topic, which I believe there are many people interested in this topic. I think I, I what I've dis- discovered in having these kinds of conversations with with people like yourself in the LGBTQ community is that when you dig into the shame part of it, everybody suffered from the shame part of it. Yes. We all have of your, ori- of your sexual orientation. Right. We all suffered from that shame component. And when we start talking about that and recognize how it's played out on, in such a negative way on our souls, you know, and on our experience of, of our human our humanity, then we have this huge common ground from which to learn from each other and to grow together into i think a more holistic generative creative sex positive sex affirming kind of people that i think you know my perspective if you look at genesis one and two that's the way god started it out in the first place so (laughs) absolutely yes beautiful garden for our pleasure and his delight yes god's delight yeah 
Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. He thought it all up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right. Well, John, Carl, thank you so much for joining us at Spirituality Adventures. Thanks everybody for tuning in to Spirituality Adventures. And let me encourage you to uh, go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, share, like, and uh, do all the things that uh, help us out with this, uh, getting this content out. So thanks so much. God bless you. Have a great day. Have a great day. Wonderful to be with you. Awesome. This concludes today's episode. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Remember to like, share, or subscribe to the social media platform that you're using. And then go to our website, spiritualityadventures.com, and make a one-time donation or you can subscribe monthly and receive our special bonus content. Thanks so much.